Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. Hello, uh, I'm Paul Krimmer. Uh, I'm a cardiovascular imager here at the Cleveland Clinic, and we see a lot of patients with valvular heart disease. And I just wanted to spend a, a few minutes highlighting the questions that invariably come up um, and what are some of our initial thoughts and recommendations. So I think first people ask, well, what causes valve disease? How did, how did this happen? How did this happen to me? And there's a wide variety there. I generally group valve, the causes of valve disease into a few categories. So first, you can be born with an abnormal heart valve. Uh, the most common example there is a bicuspid aortic valve, which affects about 1% of the population. Uh, alternatively, you can get an infection of your heart valve. So that would be the second category. So that could be a bacterial infection. It could be a patient who had uh, rheumatic heart disease. Um, and then the third category is related to atherosclerosis, so sort of wear and tear of the valve uh, over ages. So in terms of the major causes of why a patient has valve disease, they're either born with an abnormal valve, the valve gets an infection on it, or there's just wear and tear, atherosclerosis uh, of the valve over time. Now, those categories can overlap. So you can be born with an abnormal heart valve, uh, say a bicuspid aortic valve, and you can get a superimposed infection on that valve, which can cause it to uh, uh, wear down more quickly or even have acute dysfunction. Uh, so those are the, the general categories, um, but there can be uh, patients who, of course, have, have more than one issue with their heart valve. The second question that comes up is, well, how do I know that I have a valve problem? How does it get diagnosed? And what do I do once I know I have valve disease? So far and away, the most common way someone is diagnosed with a valve disease is that a doctor hears a heart murmur. And that heart murmur, um, if it's concerning, can then lead to an echocardiogram to try and define exactly what is the cause of that murmur, what valve is involved, and how severe is the problem. And the echocardiogram to us is extremely important to determine the severity of the valve defect, the downstream consequences, and what are the next steps. So to diagnose a valve problem, most often it's a physician who, uh, who hears a murmur, which leads to an echocardiogram, uh, which shows, uh, shows a problem with a heart valve. And the results of that echo are also related to the next important question, which is, once I've been diagnosed with a valve problem, how should it be followed and, and what are the next steps? So I think for us, when we have a patient who has valvular disease in particular, the history of the patient is of paramount importance. Um, how is the patient feeling? Um, are they having symptoms? And do we think those symptoms are attributable to the valve? 
And that's where we really combine the results that we see on the echocardiogram with our history of the patient and our physical exam. So if we have a valve that seems to have severe dysfunction and a patient has symptoms, and I'd say most commonly the symptoms are exertion, so related to exercise or activity, and the most common symptom would be uh, shortness of breath. So if we have a patient that has a severe valvular problem and they have increasing shortness of breath with activity and we don't have any other explanation for that, then it's very likely the valve and something should be done about that. Alternatively, we have patients who have a valve problem, but the severity of the valve on our exam and with our echocardiogram doesn't seem to be severe, and the patient's not having symptoms, then we can follow those patients. And then one of the questions that comes up is, okay, so my valve isn't yet severe. Do I need to have any restrictions on my lifestyle? What, what can and can I not do? I would say, in general, we like to encourage our patients to maintain a very active lifestyle. Now, there may be some restrictions on, on weightlifting that uh, if you have certain valve conditions or, or certain related diseases, we want to, uh, in particular, uh, be cautious about. But in general, we want our patients to have an acti active, healthy lifestyle um, and encourage patients to have moderate uh, aerobic activity. And I think that's, that's two points there. One, it's good for overall cardiovascular health. But in addition to that, for me, it acts as a, a barometer for whether the valve problem that the patient has is really causing any symptoms. So if I have a patient who says, you know, I like to run, I go out and I run a 5K three times a week, um, and I know we've been following my valve for years and, and it hasn't been an issue, but over the past six months, boy, a mile into my run, I really start to get short of breath. So that would be a concerning history for me. Now, if that patient were very sedentary, then I may not be able to know that. And so in that way, not only is, is an active, healthy lifestyle good overall, but it's sort of a barometer for us to know, okay, is the valve disease progressing? Is it is approaching a time where we need to do something about it? Um, and then if you have a severe valve problem and you're having symptoms related to it, um, usually at that point, there's not medical treatments, at least not currently, um, that are gonna be able to put off needing to do an intervention on that valve, um, be it a, a procedure, a transcatheter-based procedure, or a surgical procedure. Alternatively, though, if you have a, a valve disease that's more moderate in severity and you're not having symptoms, um, in addition to having a, an active, healthy lifestyle, we wanna make sure that your other cardiac risk factors are well-controlled, that your blood pressure is well-controlled, uh, that your cholesterol is well-controlled. Um, and again, that may not have a big impact over the natural history of what happens to your valve, um, but is certainly better for your overall cardiovascular health. Okay, so I talked about what are the, the, the causes of a valve disease, how do you get a diagnosis of a valve disease, and what do you do with the valve disease depending upon the severity. Um, and finally, when is it that we want to intervene? Well, I already mentioned the most important thing, which is 
when a patient has symptoms related to severe valvular heart disease. That would be an indication uh, for, for doing something uh, either percutaneously or surgical about it. The other situation is if the valve problem seems to be causing downstream consequences to the chambers of the heart. Um, and that's something that we most often follow with echocardiography, though there are other imaging modalities that we will use occasionally to inform that decision. But for example, it may be that you have a severe valve problem, you feel totally fine, you're asymptomatic, and I would say if there's any question about whether or not a patient has symptoms, we'll often put them on a treadmill, and then we get a very objective assessment of what the exercise capacity is. But let's say you have a severe valve problem, you're asymptomatic, very good exercise capacity. We'll also look at our imaging to see what are the downstream consequences from that valve problem. Is the heart starting to enlarge, for example? And for different valve problems, we have different thresholds for when we may want to intervene uh, in an asymptomatic person. Um, but certainly one of the things we look at is, are the heart chambers starting to show the consequences of that valve problem? And so it depends on what specific valve problem we're talking about, but we have sort of different uh, thresholds that we think about for indication for intervention uh, based upon the results of, say, our echocardiogram. And then, if you do need to do intervention, what are the options? So I, I think this is an area where the uh, landscape has continued to rapidly evolve uh, in both uh, new surgical techniques um, and new percutaneous techniques. Um, so on the surgery side, uh, we're often to perform minimally invasive surgeries, um, smaller incisions, shorter recovery times, um, with uh, newer valve replacements with improved durability and uh, implications for downstream uh, uh, treatment as well in terms of thinking about uh, repeat interventions, valvular interventions down the line. Um, and then on the percutaneous side with transcatheter valves, um, we have options for the aortic valve, of course, uh, which we've been doing for, for, for some time now. And more recently, Primarily in patients who are too high risk for surgery, so they're not surgical candidates, um, we now have options for percutaneous options involving the mitral valve, and we're beginning to have options uh, for percutaneous uh, uh, treatment of tri tricuspid valves. So I think that there's a lot uh, on the horizon um, in terms of what we can offer patients. And really the specific thing that's best for the patient depends upon a few things. One, what's their, uh, the patient's wishes um, in terms of, of approach? Two, what are their overall clinical risks? Um, is one procedure gonna be low risk? Is one procedure gonna be medium or higher risk to inform that decision? Um, and then three, anatomically, what is the best thing to do for the patient to get the best long-term result? Um, so I know that's a lot to, to go through, but when I, when I think about a patient with, with valve disease, these are the questions that, that often come up. First, what's, what are the causes of valve disease? Two, how do you make the diagnosis? Three, how do you follow a patient once, you, once you've been diagnosed with a valve problem? And then finally, once you have a valve problem that's severe enough to warrant an intervention, uh, 
what are the best options uh, for the patient. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and share the link on iTunes.